enterprise side. So the, maybe the liquidity cannot really go to the real economy, but actually lives in the bank. So that's a concern from uh, the monetary policy, whether it can lead to easing the credit. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, probably leads to be, uh, be checked by the market. So and that, that's why the, the market is also got a surprise, yeah. So maybe they need to do more. Perhaps more government spending would help. Yeah, that's uh, back to the old uh, model. <laughs> so that's why the, if you look at the, uh, if you look at the, the actually the market, the RMB actually appreciates after the, mm. uh, the, the PBOC cuts. And the equity market following the U.S. market went down mm. and entering the correction mood. So this is uh, some paradox uh, from the market as well. Okay, Yan, and sadly we've run out of time, but thank you very much. Yep. That's Yan Wu, chairman of Zhengrong Bell. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in the markets around Asia, the ASX 200 in Australia down 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, rebounding a little bit from its lows now, down about two-thirds of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is off 0.9%. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 250 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. And in the commodities markets right now, Brent crude oil is trading at $87.83 a barrel. Gold is at $1,834 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Coming up after the news, back chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two rain and uh, mist patches at first. Sunny intervals in the afternoon. Maximum temperature is going to be around 21 degrees and then mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches in the next couple of days. It's 19 degrees right now, 25% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the half-hour news. Health authorities say they did not find COVID-19 cases from an overnight lockdown on Fukong House in Kwaiseng's Taiwohawa State. They said about 1,150 people were tested in the operation after a resident there was found to have the mutant strain of the coronavirus. The head of the World Health Organization for Europe, Hans Kluge, has said that the region could be moving toward the end of the pandemic once the current wave of Omicron has subsided. But not everyone in the organization agrees. The BBC's Danny Eberhardt has more. The Omicron variant continues to cause sharp surges in infections across much of Europe. But in some places, rates are dropping again. Hans Kluger sees a period of respite once this wave subsides, either because more people get vaccinated or because they'll have immunity post-infection. A senior WHO colleague of Hans Kluger is more cautious. Maria van Kerkhove told the BBC the pandemic would not end with Omicron, as the virus was still evolving and new variants could yet be more severe. Beijing officials say all two million residents of a neighborhood will be tested for COVID after the discovery of a cluster of coronavirus cases. Local officials identified Feng Tai District in southern Beijing as the epicenter of the cluster, with the number of cases in the capital totaling 43. Feng Tai is about 20 kilometers from the Winter Olympics freestyle skiing and snowboarding venue. Olympic organizers said 72 people who've arrived since a Winter Olympics bubble opened earlier this month have tested positive. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has said it's too soon to impose sanctions against Russia for its hostile stance towards Ukraine. Mr. Blinken said the deterrence value of the measures would be lost if they were triggered prematurely. The BBC's Peter Bowes reports. 
Antony Blinken says despite the continuing build-up of Russian forces, triggering sanctions prematurely would result in the loss of their deterrent effect. He added that the strategy was designed to dissuade President Putin from launching an invasion. The Secretary of State repeated the US view that if one more Russian force entered Ukraine in an aggressive manner, it would trigger a significant response with massive consequences for Russia. But he insisted there was still a path for diplomacy and dialogue. And several thousand people have demonstrated in Washington, D.C. against what they describe as the tyranny of COVID-19 vaccine mandates in the United States. They wave signs denouncing President Joe Biden and calling for freedom. Speaker after speaker took to the microphone in front of the white marble Lincoln Memorial to decry the rules, which, like other COVID restrictions aimed at reigning in the disease, have become a deeply polarizing political issue. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is uh, Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Welcome back, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. On uh, today's programme, uh, the growing uh, fifth wave of COVID-19. The Omicron cluster at uh, Kwai Chung Estate has now expanded to 170 cases, with those infected spread across uh, several buildings at the public housing estate. Two of the blocks, Yat Kwai House and uh, Ying Kwai House, are currently under a five-day lockdown. A leading uh, government advisor on the pandemic, Professor Yoon Kwok Young, says the escalating fifth wave could take two to three months to contain and uh, easing social distancing measures around the Lunar New Year holiday will be impossible. Meanwhile, another hamster, one of uh, 77 surrendered by residents following a cull announced last week, has tested positive for the Delta COVID variant. Questions have also been raised over COVID transmission on public transport after health experts uh, said last week that um, Omicron could have possibly spread from one person to another in an MTR station. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two double three double eight two double six. Uh, joining us uh, this morning, we have uh, on the line Professor Malik Pieris, uh, Chair of uh, Virology at Hong Kong University's uh, School of Public Health, and also Dr David Lam, uh, the legislator for the medical and health services uh, sector. Um, um, Professor Pieris, uh, perhaps if we could start with you. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. So um, this idea that the current uh, COVID wave um, could take two to three months to bring it under containment, uh, is that feasible? What would your assessment be? Well, I think there's no doubt that uh, this is quite a challenge. I mean, uh, particularly because the variant, the Omicron variant we know, is much more transmissible than previous uh, yeah. variants we have dealt with. So uh, to bring this under control is, is going to be a, a challenge. And I think um, um, it, it is going to take a number of months and, and may take may require even enhancing the levels of uh, public health and social uh, restriction measures we now have, at least for a short period. 
Uh, yes, because the, uh, the, the the distancing and the uh, closing of restaurants at 6pm and so on, I mean, we've been here before. Um, so, so you think that getting Omicron under control may require something more strict and, uh, you know, uh, yes? Yes, I mean, of course, it, it's a balance between the number of cases we have out in the community um, and, uh, you know, the timing of the restrictions. Now, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, we had uh, uh, this big cluster in the Kwaichung estate, although that at least is, is contained there. So we really have to focus, um, you know, in terms of public health control um, uh, and interventions, we need to look at what's happening elsewhere. That is what will determine uh, decisions about further restrictions or not. And then, of course, unfortunately, we had the the introduction of uh, the Delta variant through the hamster introduction. So we do have a number of challenges on our plate. Mm -hmm. um, uh, David Lamb, good morning to you. Yes, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so so we have uh, Omicron, we have uh, Delta as well. I mean, how's the situation yes. looking for, from your point of view? Well, you can see that the outbreak of the fifth wave is ongoing. Uh, so the the what we have to do right now is to contain the way, contain the spread of the disease and hopefully to reduce the severity of this wave and if possible to shorten it is what we uh, aim to do right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so is that going to involve uh, more stringent measures than we have now? Uh, well, I believe we are talking about the vaccine bubble. That means unless someone is vaccinated adequately otherwise there could be quite a, a number of restrictions as to where he can go um one thing another thing to step up vaccination particularly for the elderly and you notice that we have already started vaccination for children five yeah. to eleven year old and hopefully that is going to help worth uh, reducing the number of people getting severe disease at least during this particular Omicron wave. Yeah. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Lam. Uh, we've been talking yeah. about stepping up vaccination uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, and I think the only thing that's worked in recent weeks was the threat to dim sum. And suddenly <laughs> the, the senior citizens stepped forward and rolled up their sleeves. Um, right. And I noticed also, I was listening to Jacinda Ardern on the radio this morning from New Zealand. E even though they're talking, what they're doing now is stiffening the conditions, if there's 100% vaccination, still quite large groups are allowed to meet. Um, can, we, can we start to reward the vaccinated instead of punishing them? I think you have to do both ways. Uh... Now, first of all, it is a personal, a personal health issue whether they get vaccinated or not, and we understand that. Right. But secondly, it is also a social health issue that if enough people get vaccinated, the entire society is better protected from uh, these waves after waves of infection. So it is also a social responsibility. Right. I'm not against rewarding people who came out to get vaccinated. But what do you do for those people who came out first and get vaccinated without any rewards? 
are you going to pay them back for what they have done? No, I don't think, I, I think you can't hey, do you, that. You, you're really right. rewarding people who came out late and not those who... Right. Now, yeah, I wasn't ta- thinking of uh, giving them a new reward. I was just saying to them, if you're, for example, if your gym staff are 100% vaccinated and you restrict entry to 100% vaccinated people who want to exercise in the gym, why just not yeah. let them? I think we're going there. I think sooner or later we'll require... Now, that it can never be 100% because there are some people who are medically unfit for yes, vaccination. Yes, well, they're sorry, they will not be able to go in the gym then. Uh, let, no, I think we, we would have some exemptions. Yeah, but you, you see, you, we are we are going round in a circle here. You're telling all the people, maybe seventy percent, eighty percent, ninety percent, you're all vaccinated, but none of you can use the gym because a small number of people either refuse to get vaccinated or are unable to be vaccinated safely. So we are punishing. Only, the, yeah, no, the only people who. Uh, reasonably do not get vaccinated are those who have medical conditions right. not be vaccinated. And that number has to be very, very small. Right. Uh, if you look at the indication and contraindication of the two vaccines available in Hong Kong, uh, then the number would be expected to be much less than 1% of the population who cannot be vaccinated on medical grounds. Right. And that is unlikely to affect the overall strategy the virus. Well, I'm, I think we're agreeing with each other, but uh-huh. <laughs> coming from different different sides, it seems yeah. to me that the restrictions are being applied even to people who could, more or less within reasonable odds, safely use a facility. Exactly. Um, I want to also ask Professor Paris something. This Omicron wave has been with us for a while now. Do we have any statistics on how many people have died from Omicron? Not with Omicron, have died from Omicron. And how about ICU occupancy? Yes, so, uh, I mean, it is, it is clear that uh, Omicron is less severe uh, than previous variants such as Delta. That right. is clear. But, of course, the thing is, when you say less severe, it doesn't mean you know, zero severity. Right. So if you have large numbers of, of infections, which is what Omicron is doing, the impact on the on the health system can be huge. Now, if you look at the example of, of um, I mean, South Africa and the UK both essentially had huge uh, uh, waves of Omicron infection, but not too much impact on ICUs and, uh, and, and oxygen-dependent patients. But on the other hand, uh, and of course, both are different contexts. I mean, the UK is very heavily vaccinated. South Africa was very heavily infected before the Omicron wave. I mean, about 70% of people had natural infection. Now, if you look at what's happening in the USA, there, as I understand, um, ICU beds are under pressure and very likely because these are largely unvaccinated individuals. So it comes back to the vaccination issue. So, you know, I mean, I think... um, I would also like to go back to the vaccination because I think that is really the fundamental issue for Hong Kong. Because first and foremost, uh, I mean, it, it is the older population, over 60, over 70, who are likely to be most affected. And even though Omicron may be milder, clearly, if if it hits, you know, 
I mean, the over 80 population in Hong Kong is still 80% unvaccinated. Right. And elderly homes, I mean, we, we just heard that um, a worker in an elderly home was diagnosed positive. So these are extremely uh, vulnerable situations, and which is very, which will be disastrous for the individuals concerned. And also, it will be, uh, it will have a huge impact on the hospital care system. So that is why I would say, I would agree with you that trying to persuade the older population to take up vaccine is, is fundamentally important. Right. And you see, I, th I think we're circling round, aren't we? You, you and I again. Um, because people who are fully vaccinated can't go to the gym, can't go to the swimming pool, uh, can't eat in a restaurant after 6pm, and so on and so on. The list is, it goes on and on and on. Uh, so if, if, you're, if you're asking someone to get vaccinated, you say, well, what's the advantage? What's the benefit? Uh, you, and they're not being persuaded by very much by well, the threat to your health, your personal health. And as, as Dr. Lamb said, uh, there's a social element to this. And so the fact they, all these are arguments in favour of a, of a vaccine bubble, aren't they? Well, I mean, a vaccine mandate and, and also, uh, I think, um, I mean, there, there are a number of steps that, that I think that can be taken into, to, to uh, put into force. First and foremost, an opt-out, meaning um, particularly people in elderly homes are, uh, I mean, it, it is medically indicated given the current situation of uh, COVID in Hong Kong, for their own safety, that they should be vaccinated. Right. So I would say that unless somebody opts out um, and, you know, has, has reasons to do so, uh, you know, uh, people should be vaccinated. Mm. Uh, so that is, uh, that, that is one thing. Uh, and then, of course, uh, provide all the opportunities for uh, elderly in the community to get vaccinated. So every time... Uh, uh, somebody, particularly the, the senior citizens, needs a doctor, whether it be in the hospital sector, whether it be in the private practice sector. One of the things that our doctors should be doing is, after dealing with the issue that brought them to hospital, to raise the question of vaccination and then have the logistics uh, to conveniently provide this. So right. I think that these are all issues that we need to do better. I mean, even now, you know, the vaccine center, I don't know the most recent situation, but uh, the vaccine centers certainly were quite um, um, booked up um, the last time I looked. Right, because the, as we've been talking, the individual's personal decision on whether or not to get vaccinated has implications for that person, that individual, but also has implications for the rest of society. Yes, indeed. I mean, so I think that this pandemic has highlighted this, uh, this, um, you know, the, the balance between individual so-called freedoms and our community responsibilities. And I think, um, I mean, in this case, uh, you know, it is their, their own good as well as the community's good that is at stake. And the reason why Hong Kong cannot uh, be a bit more relaxed about COVID circulating, even a milder, um, less severe variant such as Omicron, is exactly because we have this huge vulnerable population. So it, it affects the community that way, and, and that is the most important manner 
in which that unvaccinated population is affecting not just the ability to go to the gym, but, you know, the whole range of businesses in Hong Kong uh, 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 and, and Hong Kong itself functioning uh, in a more um, right. acceptable way. Uh, Dr. Lam, as, as Mike says, we've right. been talking about the vaccination rate for for a long time now. Um, okay, yeah. it's it's a personal choice. Uh, it's also a social responsibility, um, as you say. I mean, do, do you have any suggestion as to how we can persuade more people and especially more elderly people to uh, to take the vaccination? Before we go to the elderly, let me just let us just remind ourselves that the index case for for the outbreak in Kwai Chong Estate happened to be a person who is not vaccinated and gets infected, of course. Now, I think there are evidence out there that people who are vaccinated, and even though if they get the disease, then a viral load is lower, and with that lower viral load, the chance of becoming a super spreader is also lower. So it is not only protecting oneself from getting infected, it is also protecting society from being infected by the person who is not vaccinated. Uh, when you come to the elderly, doctors who visit elderly home told me they have some difficulties. There are some elderly people who do not have the mental capacity to decide for themselves, and they are just inmates of elderly home. Um, some people do not have family members that are easily accessible in Hong Kong. So what they are often required to do, and sometimes asked by the elderly home, is to get the social worker involved. And many a time, social workers are also reluctant to make a decision on whether to have these elderly people vaccinated or not. Now, of course, as a surgeon myself, I understand that in situations where the person cannot uh, decide for himself because of mental capacity issues. It is the doctor who can decide on behalf of the subject for his own very best benefit. Now, but this message doesn't seem to be very clear to society. Mm. In an emergency situation, one or two doctors' own decision should be sufficient. But in non-urgent situations, sometimes they have to go for a court order. Now, I think we, there has to be in place some mechanism for these people in elderly home who are mentally incapacitated, who doesn't have an easily accessible uh, relative in Hong Kong. Um, so you have the decision made by the relevant healthcare authority or by doctors. So if we do not have such mechanism in place, then nobody knows who to ask and nobody dares to give these people injection. Right. One way out is the op out options uh, suggested by the professor. Um, so that may make things a little bit easier. But still, I think we have to go by the rules. It, have you taken this up with uh, the, the government? This problem of people who are not mentally capable of making a decision? Yes, it is not a new issue. Right. See, these issues happen now and then for all sorts of medical problems, surgery, treatment. And the usual way of dealing with these is you get uh, two doctors involved. Actually, by law, one is enough to make the decision for the best benefit of the patient. Right. But then this message doesn't seem to be clear to those who run these elderly homes. So the doctors there, they just cannot say, OK, I believe, I think it is 
correct to give the injection etiquette, but he can't do that. Right. Can we can we ask? There are administrative issues there. Yeah. Can we ask the Secretary for Health what what she's doing in this area? Uh, yes, actually, I have asked. I'm asking them, and the answer is pretty much the same as what I have just said uh, with respect to who should decide in these situations. Right. But there, there's also always a guardianship issue. For many of these elderly, do not have guardians, legal mm -hmm. guardians. Right. So uh, what is needed now is to make known by the government to these elderly homes uh, the true mechanism of how things should be done. Okay. Um, email here from a, a listener, Eric, says uh, your doctor said that it's a personal choice matter in terms of getting vaccinated or not. Are we not at the point where this is a global disaster and are we not allowed in these global disaster circumstances to enforce mandatory global quarantine? Regarding exemptions for so-called uh, health reasons, everybody in Hong Kong knows such a letter can be secured for $300 from any doctor in town. Should such exemptions go out uh, out of the hands of uh, pay-to-play friendly doctors into the hands of a determination of exemption validity by a third-party doctor, such as a government doctor, at a hospital. I mean, is that fair? does he have a point there? Um, I mean, is, is it is it too easy to get a, a vaccination exemption? I don't think it is easy to get, to get the vaccination exemption. Mm. Uh, well, doctors working in public hospital has told me that some patients uh, rather adamant of getting an exemption and they have to spend uh, quite a long period of time explaining to them that it is not possible just for them to scribble something on the paper and say he is exempted but we must go along uh, medical grounds uh, so so it is really an important issue that doctors uh, stand by their professional grounds and not to give exemptions too easily to people and if there's any doubts about the visibility or, or the indication, a contraindication for vaccinating, there is always a vaccine clinic run by the government where the experts in immunology and vaccination uh, can give a more expert right. opinion. But Eric's point, I think, is that if you go to your usual doctor or, or one who's known to be a bit soft, um, he'll give you he'll, for the price of a consultation fee he will give you such a certificate. Uh, doctors are also under the scrutiny of the Medical Council of Hong Kong. And if he does something unprofessionally, uh, then he will be held accountable for it. Yeah. And he could be struck off our register. Yeah. So it's yeah. not something uh, we could do lightly. Okay. Okay. Uh, another, uh, quickly, another email here from a uh, listener, Karen, says, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Currently, we are assuming that as soon as more people get vaccinated, then we can start to open up and go back to normal. Will that actually happen? If Hong Kong is following China's zero-COVID policy, then surely we will not open up until they decide we can, and it is not linked to whether people are vaccinated or not. I'm double vaccinated and have booked my third, but would like to know what your guests think. Uh, so, of course, uh, with the emergence of the Omicron variant uh, in Hong Kong, the more transmissible variant, it does raise the whole question of the zero COVID policy. Uh, David Lam, is it, is it sustainable, do you think? If you look back, we have been zero COVID for quite a number of months, I think about four or five months, if, if I'm correct. So it is possible.
And if you look at mainland China, uh, for most of the time for the past year, the vast majority of places are COVID-free. And when you have a COVID-free society, people live as usual. Not everyone in big cities put masks on. And well, they are required to put the mask on when they are on public transportation and indoors, in shopping malls, etc. But still, life is almost as usual. So it is obviously possible to uh, have a COVID-free, a relatively COVID-free society if we are stringent enough. Um, and then we do, we are able to live a more or less normal social life. Okay. Yes, uh, it is possible. Okay. Uh, Malik Peris, do you go along with that? Well, I mean, I think uh, it, it is true that we had zero COVID for three months, but, but I think if you're looking two years, three years down the line, I mean, it, you know, it, it is an impossible situation. Um, so I think we need to have, um, you know, we need to have an exit strategy. We cannot basically uh, prevent, because COVID, I mean, the SARS coronavirus 2 is not going to disappear from the world. So we need to have an exit strategy uh, for Hong Kong and for China as well. But um, uh, but, but I think the, the issue for Hong Kong is twofold, as was pointed out. So yes. first and foremost, right now, Hong Kong cannot afford to uh, allow you know the COVID to spread because of this vulnerable population. And as I explained. Uh, that that is really going to impact um, um, ICU beds and hospital beds and and uh, uh, the hospital care system in Hong Kong. So okay. there okay. is a there is a Hong Kong specific uh, situation sure. where we really can, we we really have to do our very best to to control and contain and step step this out. Okay, now, thank you very much. So 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 second issue from China. Sorry, Malik Pires. Sorry, I have to interrupt the uh, discussion there because we've got to take a break f- uh, for the news at nine o'clock. But uh, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, on the program this morning. Um, a quick look uh, at the weather. It's going to be mainly cloudy today. Uh, top temperature. Uh, well, currently it's nineteen degrees. Humidity is uh, at ninety-four percent. Okay. Welcome back to Back Chat uh, with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, the latest uh, updates uh, on the coronavirus uh, outbreak uh, that we have here with... uh the Omicron variant and also the Delta variant. Um, um, we were joined uh, before nine o'clock uh, by Professor Malik Pires f- from the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong and also Dr. David Lam, the lawmaker uh, for the medical and health services uh, sector. Um, and both of those guests uh, were only with us till nine o'clock. So thank you very much uh, to those two. Um, and now we're joined uh, on the line by uh, Professor Ivan Hung who's uh, from the uh, Department of uh, Medicine at uh, the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Um, so, uh, Professor Hung, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. So, uh, we have uh, this uh, current uh, large-scale outbreak at the uh, public housing estate in Kwai Chung. Um, uh, how do you see, how concerned are you? How do, how do you see the current outbreak uh, developing? And uh, are, are we doing the right thing? Are we taking enough measures? Are, are the measures uh, stringent enough to t- try to contain it? Overall, I think we are doing the right thing and we are doing, I think it's stringent enough uh, right now. Uh, given that already, uh, you know, we have um, 
you know, uh, basically diagnose or, or quarantine uh, most of the people who have been, uh, you know, confirmed to have the uh, uh, coronaviruses. Um, the problem, of course, is that we, in the next few days, we will, we will be able to know whether we have contained the current outbreak in the Kuaichung estate. Because um, uh, if, if there are more cases uh, or if there are more uh, unknown origin outside the estate, that means that the residents have, you know, have passed, uh, all the cleaning lady have passed to the other, you know, outside the estate, uh, then that will be a problem because then there will be more unknown origin that we have to, uh, you know, uh, to trace down. Uh, but if there are no other unknown origins uh, in other, outside the estate, uh, we believe that, you know, we could contain the current uh, number of, uh, you know, cases within the estate. All right. Uh, Professor Hong, good morning. Um, we've been struggling to get up the vaccination rate among the, the more senior citizens. Um, the, the last surge that we had was clearly linked to the threat that they wouldn't be able to go for dim sum in restaurants. Um, what other ways can we use to induce people to make this decision for themselves? Currently, we, we don't want to make it mandatory, uh, as is currently carried out in, in, in Austria. Uh, so we are basically using the, the bubble, the vaccine bubble, to uh, encourage uh, especially elderly people to get vaccinated. Uh, and I think the, you know, um, such policy is uh, starting to work. Uh, if you look at the latest number of people who are receiving the first dose, uh, every day, there are around 20,000, uh, you know, vaccinees who are receiving the first dose out of the 40,000. Uh, so the number, in fact, has picked up from 70% to 75% just over two or three weeks. So I believe that the vaccine bubble is working, uh, and many of the elderly people are now getting the first dose. Uh, of, of course, we have to see how it progresses, especially, uh, you know, before and after Chinese New Year. Right. And of course, given the current Omicron wave, uh, I think that again, it creates an uh, incentive for elderly people to get vaccinated. Uh, if not, then we, have, we might have to make it like, you know, by default that, if you, you know, in, in the elderly homes that if you do not refuse getting vaccinated, then we will, you know, the, the outreach team will deliver the vaccine and, and give it to the elderly people. Right. I'm just thinking that there's a lot of fully vaccinated people who are getting a bit fed up that their activities are constrained by a large number of people refusing to get vaccinated. Well, I, I think it's, it's not because of that, but, but mainly currently I think the problem is the, is the Omicron outbreak that are causing the constraint. And I, and I think uh, basically the, the so-called zero policy is, is buying time. You know, we, we are just using the zero policy, hopefully, to get back to the vaccination rate up over the next few months. And, of course, by hopefully by April, uh, you know, in, in Europe and UK and US, you know, they will have very few cases, given, of course, that most people have been infected and, of course, uh, they might have been vaccinated. Then, overall, the numbers will decline very rapidly. And, mm. and by then, if our vaccination rate is, is good enough, uh, if it's over 90 percent, uh, you know, having the booster already, then we will be able to open up. And of course, the, all these infection control measures will be stepped down. Right. But today I can get r uh, lunch in a restaurant, but I can't get dinner. 
think that that is in re, uh, response to the Omicron outbreak right now. So, again, if we can contain the current wave, then I think you know you will be able to get your dinner, uh, and hopefully we we could do that. You know, within a few weeks after Chinese New Year. Because you mentioned uh, the bubble, and I, I think it's a great idea. I think we've we've come to it rather later than I would have liked. Um, but if all the waiters, all the chefs, all the diners are fully vaccinated with a booster, why can't they have dinner at nine o'clock, ten o'clock? Well, well, I, I agree that you know, uh, even up to you know, maybe you know, nine to ten o'clock with with a you know smaller number of like four people in the in the table. But the problem, of course, is right now there's the the Omicron outbreak. You can see that it's very contagious. So the high risk, of course, is to when you take off your mask uh, and have dinner. And, and the problem, of course, they, the, the, the government look at it is, is during the Chinese New Year. If you're celebrating and having your you know, Chinese New Year dinner, then that will be the high risk, highest risk. And, and of course, now is, is the, the Kuaichung Estate outbreak is, is causing another problem. So I think right now we just have to bear with it. And, and you, know, um, you know, without the dinner for the uh, time being, and hopefully after Chinese theory, we, we will be able to contain the current fifth wave. Right. Then I think, you know, we will be able to relax all these uh, infection I, control measures. I don't want to trivialize something because I know a lot of young people are very, very upset about the loss of their pets. But can I just ask why we, we, we test a hamster and if it's non-COVID, we still put it down? that we do not know because they come in a batch from from the right. Netherlands. So uh, if they are, you know, they are if they are reared together uh, within the same batch, then it's likely that is is you know they could be they, they could be very infectious. And of course, uh, it's been proven that thirty percent of that batch was actually carrying the Delta strain of the right. coronavirus. So that that means that if you don't kill them together, then you you. There's high risk that they could pass the infection, pass the virus to the host. And then there will be create more problems because then you have more, you know, different origins. And then you, you have more fires to put out right. as, so, as a result. Because yeah. some of the so statements... The only way yeah. is to kill all the, uh, you know, the, the same batch of the of the hamsters. Yeah, there's been a, a, a lot of attention on the uh, uh, hamsters and the hamster cull, of course. Uh, but how, how long would a hamster remain infectious if it uh, if it had uh, coronavirus? Uh, it, because this actually hamster is the animal model that we use to study coronaviruses. So we know that you can carry the virus for a relatively long period of time. You could be up to 14 to 21 days. Right. So that's why that, you know, even uh, the... We, I believe the badges actually came in um, from the Netherlands late December, mm -hmm. so that you know, even after three to three weeks, it could still carry the virus. And it would be asymptomatic. And it would be asymptomatic. So most uh, hamsters, even carrying the virus, they will be they will be able to survive. Um, it's, it's a lot of people are starting to get worried about their other pets, like cats and dogs. I mean, inclu including listeners to this program were writing in last week. Um, do, do, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I mean, should well, they be well, concerned? For cats and dogs, I don't think you have to worry too much. Uh, even though we know that previously uh, that the hosts, uh, if they've been infected, they could pass the virus to the dogs and the cats. Uh, nevertheless, it's uh, relatively unknown uh, or have not been reported 
that you know from the cats and dogs they will be able to pass it back to the human uh, and and they are not as a, a host as, as good as the uh, as the hamster so I don't think you have to worry about the cats and dogs at this stage mm. <clears throat> okay uh, just going back to uh, inoculation rates uh, for a moment particularly for the elderly uh, an email here from um, Listener James says, uh, why are we so reluctant to put real pressure on older people to be vaccinated? We keep making excuses for them. However, the vast majority of the elderly have uh, family or significant others to ensure that they have the ability to get vaccinated. Of course, there are uh, exceptions, but these constitute a small percentage carrots or sticks. We must protect the elderly. It's in all of our interests. And CW writes, uh, has Hong Kong gone from a zero COVID strategy to a zero hope of restrictions ever being lifted? Surely we need a change of approach like Singapore has. Uh, the elderly need to get vaccinated. Urgent action required. Um, that mention of uh, Singapore, uh, Professor Hung, um, do you envisage a scenario? Obviously, it's, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a government policy issue, but uh, can you see a scenario uh, anytime soon where our, you know, our whole approach might change and that um, you know, the decision is made that, well, you know, coronavirus is with us, it's not going to go away, we have to learn to live with it? Yes, I think that policy will be changing if um, you know we have get the vaccination rate up to ninety percent, and hopefully by Easter or by April and May we will be able to do so. In fact, in Singapore, if you look at it, they actually opened the border up too prematurely, and the uh, the health system actually suffers as a result, which they have many cases, and I think uh, they have a lot of stress, you know, with the health system and also the intensive care, and the mortality rate actually has gone up as well. So. Um, for us, I think it's the right policy right now to adopt for the zero uh, cases policy. Uh, and of course, if we're able to uh, boost up our vaccination rate, then we will be in a much better condition without stressing the health system. And we'll be able to uh, relax these measures. And, and by then, we'll be in a very good position to, uh, to live with the virus as such. Okay, Mike. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, I hear Professor Hong. I think, Professor, there's a, there's a morale issue in the community now. That we're in a tunnel, and there doesn't seem to be an end of the tunnel, little, and, and no light. Well, I think that we're actually seeing light at the end because of the emergence of the Omicron. Uh, it's actually a blessing in disguise as such because the, the illness is so mild that it's flu-like. And we know that it's likely to come back in most of the time in winter time when it's colder weather. So by, by, you know, by April, likelihood is that in U.S. and U.K., they will have, you know, in Europe, they will have very relatively few cases by then uh, because people either have been vaccinated or they have been infected. So uh, as a result, if we're able to have a high vaccination rate in Hong Kong, then we will be able to relax our infection control measures and open up to the rest of the world and also to... Uh, 
to, to, to mainland China as well. Mm. Well, that's great. That's great to hear about uh, light at the end of the tunnel. That's what, uh, that's what we want to hear about. Uh, but I, I know you, you have to leave us now, but uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Professor Ivan Hong of the Faculty of Medicine at the University uh, of Hong Kong. Um, we're going to continue uh, our discussion now. Um, we'll be joined uh, by another guest, uh, and that is uh, Dr Samuel Kwok, who's a medical director of the uh, Kwon Chung Vaccination Centre. Um, just before we speak uh, to Dr Kwok, a uh, couple more emails here from uh, listeners, though. Um, uh, CW, I already read that one out. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, so Simon writes, uh, two years on now and we have uh, experts saying the same thing. Let's admit there is no plan to get out of this. Uh, this town will stay closed for years to come. If I hear another expert saying, let's vaccinate the old, I'm going to throw the radio out the window. Well, uh, I hope you don't uh, throw the radio out of the window just now, uh, uh, Simon. And... Um, yeah, and we just heard from Professor Ivan Hung talking about light at the end of the tunnel, so uh, let's hope so. Um, now, um, let's have a chat with uh, Dr. Samuel Quark. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. So could you uh, just tell us a, a little bit about uh, the, uh, the vaccination programme, because uh, you run the vaccination centre at uh, Kwon Chung. Um, yes, um, I've been running Kwon Chung for about a year now since February last year. Um, that's providing Sinovac. But in fact, our group uh, started operating the Kung Tong Center as well since um, three days ago, 21st of uh, uh, January. That's providing um, another one, the, the um, BioNTech vaccine. Um, well, concerning the, um, the what's new about the Sinovac is that we allow uh, the group of uh, five, year, five years old to the 11 year, years old children uh, for vaccination starting from the 21st of uh, January, meaning three days ago. And uh, in the Kwonchung Center, we begin to see um, this group of people, or children. Um, of course, when it started uh, three days ago, um, at that time, our, our booking was almost full for a few days. So uh, we see just a few coming because they can't actually book in uh, for the first few days. But um, as of yesterday, we begin to see quite, quite a, lot, a good number of um, this group of children coming over right. for the vaccination. Uh, it consists of about 15% of people having the first dose are of this group of children. That's a good start. Um, are there any special issues when you're vaccinating children as di distinct from adults? Well, in fact, um, the government starts uh, doing the children uh, for final back because, in fact, the, the, the whole uh, procedure, the logistics, the way of doing it, the dosage, everything are the same uh, for this group of children as compared to adults. So there's not much change in the way of doing things. And that's why we can start this group of children first. Right. Do you think we can move, on, move the children on to uh, beyond tech in due course? Uh, yes, in fact, there is a plan from the government to start uh, Beyond Tech for Children uh, starting from the middle of uh, February, meaning you know about three weeks later. Um, right. But there, there's a bit of uh, issue about giving Beyond Tech for Children. That's because um, the dosage has to be different. It's about a third of the adult right. dose. And, um, and it has to be more careful because 
us um, in our centers, the community centers. One centers provide one uh, form of vaccine. They never, people never make so that we don't have the problem of giving the wrong uh, vaccine. Uh, so for these children, uh, it's not the wrong vaccine; it's the dosage. So uh, the government uh, plans to start giving uh, children this BioNTech in designated centers, hmm. meaning three centers: one in Hong Kong Island, one in uh, Kowloon, one in uh, New Territories. Uh, they are all dedicated. So even though they just give BioNTech, they don't give it to adults when when they started this program for children. All right. So, are you confident that um, the vaccination program for children will ease the situation? Uh, you know, with schools having to. Uh, you know, oh yeah, you talk about school. Yeah. Um, for this group, five to eleven years old, uh, they're mostly in school, of course, uh, primary school, or some maybe even in kindergarten. <laughs> and um, there are about four hundred thousand uh, number the people uh, in this group. So it's a it's a large group. In order to vaccinate all these people, the three different centers, I think, even they started uh, operating middle next month, it shouldn't be adequate to, to meet the demand. So uh, also there is plan uh, coming up from the government, and we just start planning now for outreach teams to go to the schools for vaccination of uh, this group of children. Mm. Right, very good. Okay, okay. Um, right, um, I believe we have a, a caller on the line. Um, hello? Good morning, it's Guy Shira. Guy, yes, yeah, please go ahead. Well, I tried to get this email through to you quite a while ago. It's, um, I'd like to first say that you're quite right talking about how despondent people are and hearing uh, your guests talking about a light at the end of the tunnel, their eyesight must be extraordinary because this <laughs> tunnel seems to be a long, long tunnel and the end of it seems to be a very long way away. Um, the, the big problem seems to be the lack of vaccination amongst the elderly. And Hong Kong does not seem to have really made an effort to get out there and vaccinate the elderly. My wife and I fall into that category. We are triple vaccinated, and we are getting very despondent about this whole situation. Um, let me read to you what, uh, a, a notice from Singapore. Let's get our seniors vaccinated. Refer a senior for vaccination and be rewarded. Some seniors are hesitant about vaccination, etc., etc. Refer our seniors for COVID-19 vaccination today. For every successful referral of an unvaccinated senior aged 60 years and over, we will issue vouchers once the senior has completed both doses of the vaccination. So this has not happened in Hong Kong, has it? It's, I'm it's, sure it yeah. would be effective. Issue vouchers, did you say? Vou yeah, vouchers. vouchers uh, about, for how much? In Hong Kong dollar terms, $180. Right. But for the referrer, not for the patient. Yeah, that's correct, yes. So yeah. it's, a, it's a dob your senior in yes. effort. Shop a senior. Convert, yes. You could dob, you could convert the dob your hamster in hotline to a dob your senior in hotline. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's also been argued uh, on this program in the past that uh, there should be more financial incentive for people to get vaccinated, for senior people to get vaccinated. I mean, it's been suggested that it should be linked with. Uh, 
you know, the consumption voucher um, handouts and so on. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? That sounds like a, another, a, another good idea, yes, sure. Mm -hmm. um, where is the initiative? I don't see much. Um, and maybe there's no incentive for any of this. They, they're quite happy for Hong Kong to bumble along like this, waiting for somebody to uh, come up with a solution elsewhere. Right. The, the future, according to the experts, is for vaccinations by nasal vaccinations and for pills. Um, so let's hope that we can get those too. Um, right. We can't keep fighting new variants, can we? Doesn't, doesn't work. I think there will be new variants. It's part of the problem, isn't it? That they, the longer we, we, we fail to grasp firmly the problem, the more likely we're going to get new variants. Correct. A never-ending cycle. Uh, Dr. Kwok, you were talking about um, vaccinating uh, uh, children. Um, uh, do you, w w what do you think about the elderly, uh, the vaccination okay. rate among the elderly? I mean, how... Well, um, in you know, fact, how, um, uh, yeah, it's a disappointment that yeah. we have a low vaccination rate for the elderly before. But um, it, in our centres, we're seeing more now. Um, I think, firstly, because um, now we are in the, kind of in the middle of a wave, the fifth wave now, and people are, you know, more scared and they, they like to get vaccinated now. We see more. Um, so in, in our centres, for example, we have about 2,500 uh, jabs a day. About 1,000 would be for the first dose. And we talked about the children earlier, about 15%. But the, all the others, a lot are from the elderly, for the elderly. So, so in fact, we're seeing a rise in the vaccination rate for elderly now. Although it's, it's the beginning, it takes, you know, maybe in fact two, three more months to get more that these uh, elder group, elderly people get vaccinated and uh, push up the, the vaccination rate to, you know, over 70, something like that. Well, as of now, it's about um, 25%. So it is, it is not good, not good enough uh, to, to face this wave uh, with this low vaccination rate because the elderly are, you know, they're more vulnerable. They can have severe disease. They can die from it if they're not vaccinated. So... We need to push up this vaccination rate for, right. for sure. elderly. Sure. I mean, I mean, maybe better late than never. But uh, I mean, w what is the gap now between the first jab and the second jab, and then the booster? Now, um, the, the distribution, the, the proportion would be uh, among 2,500. About a thousand is for the first dose. Another thousand would be uh, for the third dose. So in the middle, about 500 for the second dose. Second dose is kind of come naturally because after the first dose, normally people come for the second dose uh, a month later. So it's actually the, the, the third dose is, is, is a lot, is increasing because they're now coming up to the mark of six months after the second dose, they, they are due for the third dose that people are coming. So it's important to, to boost up the first dose really as of now. And that would push up the whole vaccination rate right. of the people in Hong Kong. Yeah. Are you you're getting third, but you only do Sinovac, don't you? Uh, the Kunchong do Sinovac, but right. our group also operate the Kowloon Tong uh, as of three days ago. Right. So that is also a big center. That's providing um, the other one to be on tap. Okay, because the, there's some talk in the, among the experts that a booster of Sinovac after two Sinovac uh, vaccinations originally is not 
achieving the antibodies mm. and rec people recommending two sino if you had two sinovac you should have Biontech for the booster uh, yeah that's the recommendation from the scientific committee uh, but in fact they they said they respect people you know doing the same uh using sino sinovac for the three doses right or they cannot change uh but in fact talking about antibody level you know people are measuring antibody level as a surrogate for protection but in mm. fact uh, for the immunity system we do have the, the, the cell immunity as well that is not measured. Right. So we believe that even the Sinovac is, is good for protection because we have good uh, cell, T-cell immunity. Yes. So it, it's, it, not, it's not useless. As, as right. As, as Antibodies as well. is, is an important indicator, but it's not yeah. the only it's measure. It's not the only one, yeah. Okay, that's very good. Well, it's, it's good that your numbers are picking up, Dr. Kwa. I just wonder, from your experience of this, what do we need to go among the elderly from over over 80, from 25 to, to 95? Um, well, whether we can be 95 is, uh, is, you know, it's a big job to talk about that. Uh, um, I think uh, people realise now the importance of getting vaccination. And I think that the main barrier of people, of all people getting vaccination is, firstly, they, they worry about the vaccine. They worry yeah. about complications. They are kind of, you know, having a first impression that it's very dangerous to get the vaccine. But in fact, it's not. So this is, I'm going to say, a poor start when we start the whole program. We have to change the people's impression about this. And secondly, a lot of old people, they don't decide for themselves. It's the children, you know. So uh, the children do not want their, uh, their, their older their parents to, to get vaccination. That is another hurdle. So we do need to clarify with our people, the population in Hong Kong, that the vaccine is safe. It is the wave of the COVID that is dangerous. So we need to do that. Right. And if we can clarify with the people, more people will come over. And in fact, now is a good start because we see more people elderly doing vaccination. They don't have problems. So when people can see that, then more would come and it's a kind of a vicious cycle, you know, a kind of uh, more people will come over. I think that that would help. Uh, I hope in the next two, three uh, months we see a big rise and at least, uh, if not 95%, I hope 80% of elderly okay. vaccinated. That would be pretty good for, for Hong Kong. Great. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. I'm afraid we're out of time now, but uh, thanks very much to uh, Dr Samuel Kwok, uh, Medical Director of the Kwon Chung uh, Vaccination Centre. Thanks uh, also to uh, Caller Guy. Um, I've got um, a number of other emails, but uh, no time to read them out, so they'll have to wait until tomorrow. Um, I'll just read the first line from one of them, though. It says, uh, Dear Backchat, uh, it is wonderful to have Mike Rouse on the programme again. His direct questions always get us closer to the truth. How about that, Mike? Yeah, it's good to have uh, it's, good, it's good to be back. <laughs> right, right. OK, a quick look uh, at the weather before we go to the news summary and uh, morning brew. It's going to be mainly cloudy, one or two rain and mist patches at first, um, sunny intervals in the afternoon. Uh, top temperature today around 21 degrees, light winds uh, becoming moderate to fresh northeasterly winds. The outlook mainly cloudy with one or two rain patches in the next couple of days, uh, slightly cooler in the mornings. This quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. The rates concession has already been reflected, but there is no concession for government rent. Remember to pay by January 31st or you'll have to pay a surcharge. 
Property owners must ensure that the rates and government rent in respect of their properties are paid on time. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department's Inquiry Hotline on 2152-0111. The new summary with Andrew Turovsky. Hong Kong University's Professor Malik Paris says reigning in the Omicron variant of the coronavirus in the SAR is quite the challenge. Health authorities say they did not find COVID-19 cases from an overnight lockdown on Fu Kerong House in Kwai Ting's Taiwahao Estate. And the head of the World Health Organization for Europe, Hans Kluge, has said that the region could be moving toward the end of the pandemic once the current wave of Omicron has subsided. I'll have more on these and other stories at 10 o'clock. This is RTHK. We are currently experiencing some technical problems. Normal service will be resumed as soon as possible.